Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, not taking no for an answer, and creative ways to breaking in with investor David Sika. Every Friday, we have a call with one of our investors named Xi'an. We go over what happened in the week, what we're working on, and we get our input on everything. It's a nice wrap-up for the week, and we get a lot out of these calls. Xi'an gives us advice on problems we're having or ideas we want to implement. For us, we can never get enough advice from savvy startup people that have been through it before, especially from those that understand fintech, which Xi'an does. I would say the main element that Xi'an challenges us on is our pace of learning. We talk about having a specific hypothesis each week that is either validated or refuted, and then applying those learnings to the business or the app. Our primary hypothesis is that we go get a fraternity treasurer to use pay club for the constant collections they're making within the club. Maybe or maybe not dues, but parties, t-shirts, philanthropy, trips, all that. From there... Everyone's now downloaded the app and linked their bank accounts, and people can see the problem that PayClub solves. That's when we spread out of the fraternity and into daily life with roommates, other clubs and organizations, spring break trips, whatever. When that spread happens, we'll be very happy. But that hypothesis is going to take some time to prove out. That's building a network, and it's going to take longer than a week. For the weekly goals, we look at things that help us understand our users maybe a little better. What makes them sign up, what drives their first transaction, and then more transactions. This template for focused and fast learning is pushing us to be better. That's what having a seasoned investor or advisor on the team does for you. We're so happy to have her. Not only do we get the perspective of a type of person that we certainly want to impress, that being a professional investor, but we have someone holding us accountable to what we're saying we're going to do which, if you remember, was the hallmark of my New Year's resolution spiel. So, yeah, we're off jumping from college to college, onboarding big clubs, making hypotheses, and learning quickly. Okay, that's it for me. Let's jump into the interview. Hey, David. David Sika from Nika Partners. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. really appreciate it. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this one. You, Nika Partners is a very cool kind of finance fintech focused venture fund and you've got a very finance focused background uh, i'd love to hear you know your start how you got to where you are you graduated school you thought i'd go be an investment banker for a while was it was that kind of how it worked yeah well there's actually one piece before that so i uh i started my 
So I went to a non-recruited school, and when I was in high school, I actually had no idea what that meant, but I realized very quickly upon starting college that it was going to be a challenge to go and work on Wall Street if you were not, um, you know, if you were not part of, you know, the dozen or so schools that a specific investment bank was recruiting at. Um, So when I first came out of school, I ended up taking a job as a financial advisor at Merrill Lynch. Um, which was actually, it was one of these like hardcore, uh, you know, sales training programs. And it was, uh, I don't know, it was, I, I find myself using a lot of what I learned in that program now, like later in my career, but it was, you know, a formal training process. We would have, you know, meetings with a hundred people and you'd have to get up on a, uh, stage and role play and, you know, kind of use the different sales tactics that you were, um, that you were you know, taught. So I, I was faced with the challenge of I figured, you know, I, I would take that, it would get my foot in the door at Merrill, and then I would be able to, um, I'd be able to figure out a way to move into another part of the bank, and then I moved into investment banking. Um, I mean, which David, that's tough feat. Yeah, that's much much harder to do than people actually think. Like my mother, I started my career off at J.P. Morgan, same thing as you in their like private wealth group. And my mom was like, "Oh, you're that's so wonderful. You're at this great company. You can move around." I'm like, "Well, you know, to an extent." But you did it, and like I, I assume every listener to this podcast wants to hear how you did that. Yeah. So the uh, I ended up meeting. I actually met somebody at Goldman Sachs, and I'm originally from New Jersey, and he was from New Jersey and my, my roommate from college is like, listen, if you have any chance of somebody mentoring you, it's, uh, it's this guy. So you should meet him. So I met him. We had a great, we had a great, uh, you know, in a great interaction and we got along at first and he's, he said, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm open to helping you, but I want to be really certain that you're actually serious about this. So gave me homework for like, Probably then I mean I probably met with him four or five times, and each time he would come back and kind of grill me on that we were I was you know it was all about real estate and it was all of these real estate transactions and I would come back and he would grill me on you know what what news was in the you know was in the papers or um, uh, you know taking a look at a deal that they had worked on or passed on looking at their investment committee memo and kind of going through and analyzing it and convincing him that one, I was, you know, kind of getting up to speed enough on, on what the business was so that he'd be comfortable putting me in front of people. And also two, I think just proving to him that I was actually serious about taking the role, not just, uh, you know, not just wanting to work in investment banking sort of thing. Right. Yeah. That, and then, that a, makes and sense. then one day I got a phone call from him and he said, I've called a dozen people at, you know, and he kind of sent me this email with a laundry list of uh, of people that he had called, and the top of the list was actually Merrill, and I called up the person at Merrill Lynch and got an interview the next day. Wow. That's a great story. What, what Besides your, you know, willingness to do his homework and and provide your, that you're a smart, hardworking person, like, what do you think it was that attracted him to you? Like, yeah, that's not a common thing for someone to make 12 phone calls on your behalf to get your first job. Like, that's something everyone wants. It's an extremely lucky break. What do you attribute that to? I think it was the persistence, right? It was, uh, he, he, he kind of told me this, uh, I always remember this quote he told me, but he's like, 
he's like, when you go in, he goes, tell me you know nothing about it, but you're willing to work hard, right? And I'm willing to exchange hard work for the opportunity to learn. And he kept repeating that. And, you know, he kind of, he really appreciated just kind of, you know, grittiness, persistence, um, actually taking the process seriously, not just thinking I was going to go get into some, you know, kind of interview process and all, everything would be good from there. Um, I think the, the difference was it was, right, I was willing to put the work in. I actually, you know, I spent all the, you know, in between each of those meetings, I would go and do the work and do all the reading and I would call people in the group and kind of, you know, understand, you know, ask questions that I wasn't, um, that I wasn't sure about and, you know, I think that was the part that he, in the end, he did believe I was serious and he did, he did think I was also going to go whatever job I ended up getting or not getting. But if I got it, I would have, I was going to go really work hard for it. Right. Okay. So hard work, that's definitely part of it and, and some luck. So, and also the follow up, right? Like the, if you, you know, saying, you know, I think from that first meeting of saying like, you know, I really, I really want this, but then every time there was a to-do or there was a follow-up afterwards, making sure I, you know, nailed it and did it in the time I said I was going to. Yeah, that's, that's the persistence and doing what, you're, what you say you're going to do. Okay, so then you, you get this interview at, at Merrill and, and you obviously crush it because you get the job. Yeah, I got the job. Um, I, I, I started the, the group I was in was CMBS Origination. Uh, at the time, this was two, this was 2006. Um, you know, obviously the market was really good. Merrill and Merrill also had a little bit of a different um, way they organized the real estate group. So there was kind of your investment banking advisory group, and then there was a uh, um, a private equity team, and we were LPs into really big funds. And then we had the CMBS origination team, and then CMBS securitization, kind of all on one floor, right? So it was a, you know, it was almost an assembly line. And um, a lot of the big deals we did, we were, you know, LPs into Blackstone and Blackstone had, you know, they did the, the, they acquired like Hilton and they, um, La Quinta was a big deal. We also provided all the debt for when Stytown traded at that time. Um, so we were a very, very successful group. And then when the crisis hit, Overnight, CMBS closed down. So we, you know, I think we went from, I mean, we were doing so much volume and, you know, we were working so many hours and then overnight it was literally like, we're no longer lending. Um, so at that point I had to figure out what I was going to do next. Right. So you and the guys that you work with were pretty much responsible for blowing up the world economy, right? <laughs> yep. I wouldn't say just I wouldn't say just us, and I was very junior at the time, so I had no say in uh, in the type of stuff we were doing. And it was, I mean, but from a career standpoint, it was also, it was a tough blow, right? Because I pulled off this FA to, uh, you know, into the institutional side of the business, and then due to market conditions, I really, there's nothing I could do to hold on to the, to the seat. Um, what was interesting, though, is I was, you know, so I was part of the analyst program uh, from that time. And what Merrill decided to do was they put us kind of in this protected class where we were redeployed. So if you were in an affected area from the 
you know, areas that the bank was, was on hold in or no longer doing business in, we were put into this group where you would not, um, they wouldn't fire us. But they fought, you know, they laid off a lot of the people above us and a lot of the senior people ended up leaving. So the group was, you know, shrunk quite a bit. And the reason they did that was because in 1998, there was a crisis and they laid off a lot of the analysts and associates and the schools that they recruited that didn't let them back on campus. So they, so they, I would say there were probably 60 or 70 of us at Merrill that were part of this, this group. Um, and we were basically given our bonuses and said, you've got, you know, I think it was six months to find a new role in the bank or then you'll be laid off. So that was their way of preserving the relationships with the schools they recruited at, which was kind of ironic, right? Because I was never, I was never available. Right. But, <laughs> but you I had to benefit some from protection it. from it at, at some point. Yeah. So then you had them. So how'd you get your next job? Like just calling people around the, the bank? Um, well, you know, if you can imagine, it was a pretty, it was a pretty tough period. Um, I think there was a lot of uncertainty at the bank at that time. Yeah. And when we got, when we got this news, they said, somebody from HR will call you and they'll, uh, you know, they'll tell you about all the great opportunities that are available to you at the firm. And right. There's so many opportunities in 2008. So many opportunities and nobody called shocker. So, you know, ended up finding out who was running that you know, that function in, um, in HR reached out to them and realized that, at, you know, for the 60 or 70 people, there were only two front office jobs available. And, um, so I wanted to go after one of those two jobs. And the one, the one thing I had going for me is I had all my licenses from being an FA. Mm-hmm. So I was able to go and get this job on an emerging market equity sales desk covering Russia and the Middle East. Um, and so I was one of, so I left the real estate group and then went over and started working on the trading floor. Wow. Wow. That's, that's awesome. And I guess a testament to your persistence again, like you're able to get something of that 58 people could not. Yeah. Being, I mean, you know, persistence, being creative. Um, and I, you know, I think a lot of the other, Right. And again, it was kind of the team I went to work for. They were pretty, I don't want to say it was a, it was a, it was an interesting culture in that group because it was, you know, people from all over the world and they kind of had, they really had no airs about them. Right. Like it was different from banking. Like they wanted somebody that was just going to come in work really hard, have a good attitude and, you know, kind of punch through. And uh, so I think they, I guess they saw that in me. And so I went to go, work in that group for a while. And that was, uh, it was fun. It was a lot of fun and it was exciting and working on interesting companies and learning about all of these different markets. Um, the part I said about being creative was my headcount was on loan from real estate to, um, like to this equity group. So when the real estate group finally wound down, my headcount went away. So I was lit, like, I got a call on a Friday afternoon and I was really excited. Like I'd hit the ground running. I was really doing well in the job. And then I get a phone call and it's like, Hey, can you come to HR? You're laid off. And I call my boss who's like in the middle East somewhere. And he's like, I have, I had no idea this was happening. Um, so when all was actually, you know, when, when all was said and done, I actually ended up getting laid off at the end of the day. But, um, I like to say it was on a technicality. Right. You know, some, 
I've had some, some similar experiences. So do you, do you leave this, this experience with like a taste in your mouth about investment banks or like, do you leave it saying like, Oh, you know, I tried hard. They gave me a good opportunity and, and now I'm going to move on. Um, no, I don't have, I mean, I think it's, uh, no, I left with a pretty positive feeling actually. I, um, I, I think one, it teaches you a really good work ethic, right. And really good, like sound technical skills because you're just working long hours and you're working, um, you know, I think harder than some other areas you can start your career in, uh, that's one. I think two, you learn a level of professionalism that's also helpful. So, you know, you start your career with a good foundation. At the time, I really wanted it to work out. Like, I I, I didn't want to leave Wall Street. Like, I was really happy. And um, I think in retrospect, I realized what a tough time it was. But at the time, being inside, and I didn't understand what was happening. And this was right before the B of A acquisition. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, are you so you get fired, and uh, you're still probably like, oh, I I, I got to make this work on Wall Street. So I'm going to send resumes to every other bank, and none of them are hiring. And it's, I mean, it was difficult time. This is when I was graduating school too. I was doing, I was like deep into an interview process with Bear Stearns, and then like, <laughs> it's like, well, they're not in business anymore. So, and then we had our career fair like a few days after they collapsed, and like there was space for all the banks there, and none of them even showed up. It was like, wow. Um, so it was scary, but like persistence was this key for me too. And I, yeah. Um, okay. So like, what'd you do next? Um, well, during, during my first, uh, that first redeployment period between real estate and institutional sales, I'd gotten a call from the, um, from our HR department and they said that like the president of visa is coming to town as part of the Visa IPO Roadshow, and they want to meet, you know, people that are your level. And they're, we don't have much information, but Visa is going to start this new, um, you know, this new program and recruit people from Wall Street. And would you be interested in it? So I went to that information session and I met the, um, the head of recruiting and I met the president of Visa and had a really good meeting with them. So when I got laid off, that was actually my first call. I called up, I called up Visa and wanted to see if that, if that program was still coming together and they had one slot left that they were unable to, uh, unable to fill. And I asked if I could interview for it. So I took a you know, I really didn't, I mean, at that time, they're really, I mean, to get a job on wall street, like immediately at that point, I don't even think I don't think there was any possibilities. I remember calling around everybody I knew and they're like, I'd love to help, but I don't know if I'm going to have a job next week. And uh, many of them didn't. So I wanted to work. I really didn't at that point in my career, I, you know, I didn't want to lay off the throttle. So I, um, I called up visa. I asked if I could interview for that spot. They agreed to it. And then I ended up, you know, in a short period of time, getting an offer from Visa and deciding to move to uh, San Francisco. Awesome. So this was in 2008. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, I, I, I feel for you. I mean, the getting jobs then was, was, it was ridiculously difficult. Um, so fine. You expanded your search a little bit outside of wall street, but still in the financial 
ecosystem. So really, really cool. I mean, another awesome testament to you. So what are you doing for them when you get this job? Well, it's a unique program because um, the culture of Visa, Visa was an association um, prior to the IPO, and most of the people that worked uh, there were pretty senior. So they had spent 10 to 15 years, you know, either at a bank or in, or a card, or like at a, um, a card issuer or a merchant acquirer, and they, you know, went to Visa and and. The vision for the president at that time was, I want to hire more, you know, junior to mid-level people, and I want to hire people from, you know, kind of an investment banking background or a Wall Street background or a consulting background. And so it was a unique opportunity because we reported to the head of the, the seven of us, we each reported to the head of a business unit. So I was in sales, someone else was in product, somebody else was in strategy, but then we also had a lot of exposure to you know, to the president. So we'd work on projects with him and kind of uh, do that. So it was a really unique experience, I think, that early in your career to get to get a lot of access to executives and um, get a chance to, you know, get a little more responsibility and a little more uh, autonomy. So it was uh, it was good. And I really didn't know much about payments when I when I started there, but shortly realized I liked the industry. You know, it was um, this is 2008. Prior to a lot of the startups that had come, that had come uh, afterwards, but it was you know this what I thought was a huge you know payments touched so so many parts of the world and so many parts of the economy, and it was controlled by such a small number of people. And I just remember like looking at the Wall Street days, and I was like, you know. There were so many people in New York that each worked at a bank that were all trying to kind of, you know, go after the same goal. And here I come to this company and, like, everyone's accessible and there's only, you know, I mean, you've got Visa, MasterCard, a few payment providers. And I thought that was, uh, I thought that was pretty exciting because I said, this is a area where I can, you know, really learn this business and I, I can build a, I can build a network and there's not a lot of people to do so with. So right. I kind of left the whole, you know, I kind of, I, I kind of abandoned the whole Wall Street dream and and just really focused on, like, how do I become the most expert person I can in what I'm doing right now and threw myself into learning payments. I mean, that's, that's opportunistic, David. Like, I, I mean, I can look at my experience and I had a couple of different jobs on Wall Street and then when I left the other one, I was like, oh, still trying to like, I don't know this is for me, but then I was like, casually trying to get other jobs at it. And it, it's tough to let go of something that, you know, I wanted to be an investment banker for the first 21 years of my life. And then I got it. And then it's, it's tough to let that dream go. Even when I start to realize that like, I don't really like doing this. Yeah, it was hard for me too. I, um, you know, I, I remember I'd, I'd still every once in a while go back and meet with people at different banks and see if there were jobs open. Um, in the t- at, in the moment, it wasn't easy to let go of, but I also wanted to focus on something positive and and really, um, you know, learn an industry. Like I remember going to Visa, and I'm like, you know, I'm going to, like, I'm just going to throw my I'm going to throw my focus into this into this business, and I'm at a great place to learn it with a lot of people um, that I was working with who had really shaped the industry um, because they were there forever. Um, 
and that was that was my that was my plan was to you know just march forward learn this business meet as many people as i could in the industry and then at some point down the line i would monetize it right i would cash my chip in and do something different with it um so i spent five and a half years at visa and you know actually since i was the you know ended up i was in the probably one of the the least desirable group out of the uh out of the seven people that went to visa and then overnight that ended up becoming like a very important group in the in the company I wouldn't say highly respected, but very important. Like we we worked on merchant acceptance strategy, um, so kind of the the networks relationships with retailers. And in a short period of time, you had uh, government regulation, which was the Durban Amendment, was uh, as part of Dodd Frank, which was a like an interchange cap as well as a, um, you know kind of having the ability, like cards had to, by law, now put uh, put a different network on the back of their cards so that the consumers or merchants would have the ability to route those transactions to a different network if they didn't want to use the one that was on there. There was a big settlement from the retailers um, against the networks, and there was also all these brand-new technologies that were popping up saying, you know, whether it's mobile wallets or using your payment information to create a coupon and, and give you an offer. Uh, so it's kind of this unique situation where it's like, wow, this, this is one of the more transformative things that happened in the industry in two decades. And I ended up being in a, in a place to get a front row seat to it and, you know, work on it during that time. So um, that was pretty interesting. Yeah, that is, that is cool. And then you said you, you were there for almost six years and you're gaining equity and experience and you have this chip that you want to cash in and your path is definitely not the traditional path to, to venture. So how'd you, how'd you cash that chip in? Well, um, I, I, you know, I was, I was in the, I was in the group and I, I had met a lot of people around the industry and there were, you know, at the time you had like a lot of two and like marketplaces were popping up. So Uber and Airbnb. And I remember sitting at Visa and looking at what was happening in the startup world. And I'm like, wow, I'm like, that's, that's merchant acceptance, right? That's exactly what we do. And, um, you know, we understand the mechanics of, uh, kind of how, how you build payment systems and, and how the pricing works and everything. Um, and I remember telling people at Visa, and they're kind of like, I don't know if it's exactly the same thing. And I was like, well, I'm going to go see if it, like, I'm going to go take a shot and see, uh, and, and see it and, and, and see if it's true. So I, I ended up reaching out, um, and getting three interviews. I got an interview with first data. I got an interview with Braintree, mm-hmm. which was processing Uber. And I got an interview with Klarna, which is, um, a fintech company in Sweden. And I ended up getting offers at Braintree and, and Klarna and came very close to joining Klarna and then in the end backed off. I just, it, you know, decided I didn't want to do it, didn't feel right. Um, and I was working on, on the Klarna offer. I was working with a board member who was the previous president of Visa, who I'd worked with at Visa. 
and he was at General Atlantic and said, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in what's going to start happening in the fintech world and, you know, kind of hear the observations I've, I've seen. Would you be interested in coming with me to start a firm and, and, uh, and work on that? So it was a minute and a half long conversation. I said yes after, you know, kind of months of interviewing and being reluctant to uh, pull the trigger on something. So where did that reluctance come from, and what was different about this opportunity that you thought, oh, this one's better than this one's better? The others didn't feel right. You know, it, it there was good to it, there was bad, but I wasn't, you know, I just didn't have that, like, you know, ex- excitement about it. And um, I guess when I talked to my, uh, you know, when I when I got that phone call, that got me really excited, and it was funny, because... There was a little out of character to make a quick decision like that, and I said yes, and that was kind of the um, that was kind of the end of it. Oh, that's and and you get to stay in San Francisco. You don't have to move across the country again for this one. So, uh, and then now, how long have you been at at Nika? Um, so in December it will be five years. Oh, congratulations! Thank you. Uh, I mean, that's that's really cool. You know, usually. I end these podcasts with a piece of advice, but like this whole, this whole podcast has really been your advice for breaking in and coming from behind and being creative. And like, this is the story that, that I uh, relate with most. Um, so if there's, you know, David, if there's any like last lasting thoughts, I'll let you leave it. But, but this has been so much fun. Yeah. I mean, I guess the only lasting thought is, um, you know, kind of focus on building a body of work, right? Uh, really sinking your teeth into a project and sinking your teeth into a job and uh, not being so concerned with, you know, kind of, uh, you know, jumping to the next step. And I think if you do that, uh, what you'll find is that there's a, uh, if you do a good job at that, there's a lot of other opportunities that'll, that'll come from that. I mean, in my story, it was, you know, really go after payments and then, you know, later on figure out what are the options that uh, will be available to use this knowledge I built, the network I built. And it ended up coming in a very different form than I had thought it, than I thought it was going to come in. So, Right. Well, I, I love that. I love that advice, David, your story. I loved it. This was, this was really fun talking with you. Thanks. Thanks for coming on the podcast. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Talk soon. Thanks for listening today. Let me know what you think. Leave us a review on iTunes and tell your friends about this podcast. Thanks.